Welcome back, guys. You listen to Faith FM. We have come to the Encounter with God section, and we have had some people calling in for prizes and quizzes and giveaways. And, and yet we are still not done because we have another giveaway coming up at the end of the show. So yeah, today's just been a giveaway kind of day. Any handbags left? Uh, yeah, I think we have one left. So if you want to win, uh, the, I think the, the fi- last, the final, the last handbag from Kenya, give us a call. And, uh, and tell us what bag of moyo means. Mm. It means lay down your heart, by the way. And, um, which is, which is so beautiful. When they first told me what the word bag of moyo means and how it just the expression of laying down your heart and, you know, just the empathy behind it, I actually teared up and cried. So yeah, it was a little embarrassing because, you know, I hate crying in public, but I seem to do it all the time. So I should get used to it. <laughs> Sometimes Mon cries <laughs> on, on radio. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. For someone who always, doesn't like doing it, I seem so to much do it fun. A lot. I always try and get Mon to cry. And I look always up to those tear jerking <laughs> stories. So, like, yes, Mon, here's some tissues. And uh, <laughs> Lyle hasn't quite grown up. He's still trying to make girls cry. <laughs> Nothing's changed much for Lyle since the sandpit days. <laughs> Well, uh, anyway. but yes, but oh, we should mention. Um, so our our quiz today, our pretty difficult one, the Who Am I one, all uh, got snapped up. Got snapped up by one very clever Suzanne Davies from Nelson Bay. Good on you, Suzanne. And uh, the answer, of course, was Ahab, husband of Jezebel. Mm-hmm. And uh, Suzanne has won that lovely Proverbs book, beautiful coffee table, inspirational photography, wonderful thing. Um, so that's coming your way. And uh, we have had some people uh, snap up a couple of handbags, but we do have another one left. So if you would like to win the last Kenyan handbag uh, from Bagamoyo, which is a wonderful organization that supports both a um, orphanage. They actually name the handbags after the orphans. And oh, really? Yes, yeah, so each designer has a different different name and it's named after a particular orphan, which is so sweet because they, they, they come in the, in the shop and they see a, you know, a handbag with their name on it and they just think it's wonderful. And um, – and uh, and then also, of course, uh, does a wonderful thing working for um, working with the HIV AIDS community. So he employs um, all these HIV AIDS uh, sufferers, and they come and they work. So I met them all. Uh, met them in the factory there, or just sewing away, having just it was such a beautiful atmosphere. Just a- yeah, and I was just looking at those videos and whatnot that you've got on uh, Facebook. Mm. And uh, it really does give you a good picture of exactly what is going on in this little factory there, and 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 um, and, and also the thing that astounded me was the quality of the work. Yeah, I mean, this it, is, it really is. This is really high quality stuff. That um, yeah, it's international quality. Like it's, it's nothing. There's nothing. Um, uh, uh, discount or third world about it at all. It's all like this is the kind of stuff like you walked into a shop here in Australia and be paying top dollar for. But I just, I just want to explain. I, I wish I could have bottled the atmosphere at this factory because these people are just. They're so ostracized and they have such a hard time with their disease in Kenya because, you know, it is a third world country. Education is a little bit on the, on the lack side. And so they are treated differently and they do cop a lot of, um, you know, negativity from, from their, from their, from their communities, from their families, from their friends. And a lot of them lose their families and friends when their diagnosis has come through. And so when they find a place like Bagamoyo where they can be employed and where they can be accepted, just the the joy and the love coming out of this factory, like all the fabrics are so bright and beautiful and happy, and it it, it just immediately reflect, reflects the atmosphere. The, the, the two are connected. It's just the, each bag is just a, a little piece of happiness. Uh, yeah, I loved it. I wish I could have taken you all with me to Kenya, especially for that one particular stop over there in Bagamoyo. So yeah, give us a call if you'd like to get one of these happy bags. Um, Bagamoyo. 
Lay down your heart. So yeah, it's beautiful. Absolutely. Let's go to our encounter with God where we are studying Revelation chapter 17 and we are going to be looking at the uh, verse chapter. 4. The forgotten chapter. The forgotten I preach on this chapter. chapter every now and then. Yeah, we didn't preach on it when, yesterday because you forgot it existed. Oh, oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I went home yesterday and laid in my bed and thought, I'm such a dolt who just forgets the month of March exists. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, chapter For those seven. of you must might be wondering what is going on with the Breakfast Show team, we are suffering from jet lag and the jet lag just yesterday lag. was making us just hilariously stupid. <laughs> I forgot that there was a whole chapter in the Book of Revelation. Mon forgot that there was a whole month in the year. <laughs> Announced our 12-month anniversary. Yeah. 13 months after it happened. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Life is so good. Yeah, it's Life so is so good. much fun. So good, yeah. What would we be without jet lag? <laughs> okay, Revelation 17 verse 4 says this. The woman wore purple and scarlet clothing and beautiful jewelry made out of gold and precious gems and pearls. In her hand, she held a gold goblet full of obscenities and the impurities of her immorality. Wow. Okay, so this is interesting because this woman is dressed with the colours of the sanctuary. It starts off quite nice, beautiful clothing, lots of jewellery, precious goblets. Oh, hang on, obscenities and impurities and immorality. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And and purple and scarlet, these these are the colours of the sanctuary. Yeah, yeah, it starts off sounding great. So this is the the colours of the worship of God. True, that's right, yeah. So in the Bible, purple is a symbol of royalty, and the reason that purple is and has been a symbol of royalty down through the ages, and it still is today, is because back in the ancient times, the only way that you could make the color purple was from a very, very rare shellfish found in the Mediterranean. That's how you made the dye. Wow. And so the only people, it was so rare, the only people that could afford it were royalty, and so it became a colour of royalty, still is today. Oh, I see. Yeah. And so the purple in the sanctuary is is a colour of royalty. It symbolises that Jesus is sovereign God, ruler and creator of the entire universe, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's what purple is symbolising in the sanctuary. What about the scarlet? The scarlet is an interesting one because scarlet obviously is red. Scarlet is the color of blood. Mm-hmm. And so this symbolizes that Jesus is the one who would give his life for us. Um, so it's a symbol of the death and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Okay, yeah. And so these are good colors, right? Very good colors. There's one missing. There is one missing. Which one is missing? Blue. And blue is the color of? The sky. And? Your wife's shoes. And? Your shirt. And? Your pants. And? My bottle of water. And your backpack. And my doctor's tissues. Just to tissues. get it done with. Um, wait, let me think. What else? Uh, All right, we've run out. We've run out. We've run oh, out. Oh, oh, oh. Policeman. Oh, mm. oh, the boys in blue. Mm-hmm, that's right. I wonder where that concept came from. I wonder why it is that we travel all the way to Ethiopia and the boys in blue are still it's wearing blue. blue. Yeah, that's true. Why is the why is blue around the world the color of the police force? Where did that originate from? Is this verse? The colour of the law. Oh. Oh, oh, ah. Wait, 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 wait. So when Moses goes up the hill and gets the Ten Commandments, don't they come on a blue stab, blue tablet Yeah, first? there's very strong strong uh, evidence to indicate that that may be the case. Okay, because then he smashed those and had to go back and get yeah. some grey stone uh, ones. But blue in the sanctuary was a symbol of obedience. Can I make like a little a symbol of the law. detour here for a second? Yeah. Do we ever know what happened to the Ten Commandments? 
Yeah. What? They got put in the Ark of the Covenant. Ah, so they're missing along with the Ark of the Covenant. Uh-huh. Okay, so when you find the Ark, you find the Ten Commandments. By the way, you had a theory that the Ark of the Covenant was in Ethiopia. Did you find it? I didn't. Okay. But I found the replica. <laughs> Did it have tablets little, in it? I was a little bit disappointed. It's called the Tabot. Oh, the Tabot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the Ark of the Covenant in, in Ethiopia is called the Tabot. And so, uh, obviously, because the tablets of stone were gotcha. inside of it. And had the most just amazing experience in Aksum. Because so, Aksum is where the um, the original Ark of the Covenant is supposedly kept. Oh. It's kept in a very small monastery-like building that is, yeah, the size of a small house and has a courtyard about the same size. And only one monk um, of the Orthodox Church, Ethiopian Orthodox Church, is um, allowed to see it. He's the only one who's allowed to go into that compound. One monk. One monk. Okay, yeah. And he's the, 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 the custodian, the guardian of the Ark of the Covenant. And when he goes into that compound, he can never, ever come out until he dies. That is a job I would never take. Yeah. Never. Is he allowed to go in there with his family? No. Uh, monks don't have families. Oh, so Priests have families. Monks don't. So not only is he not allowed to have a family, but he he is now isolated. He's stuck. Yeah. So basically what, what I found out um, about the Ethiopian Orthodox Church is that priests marry, but if their marriage doesn't work and they decide to leave their wife or their wife decides to leave them, then they become a monk. And what priests can't do in the Ethiopian Orthodox Church is remarry. Okay. So if your marriage breaks up, that's it, and you become a monk. So this dude so is... You can kind of tell who's um, not so good at uh, keeping their marriage together because they're so all monks. Okay. So monks these, priests. And these guys go into a house and never... This one guy. ...never come out again. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Yeah, and so it's you know it, it does raise questions about the authenticity of whatever it is that they're storing inside there. Because only one guy ever gets to see it. The other thing that raised some questions in my mind was that when we went to the procession, we were there during Lent, and the 55 days of Lent in the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, they do a procession in the sacred city of Aksum, um, where the Ark of the Covenant is kept, and they carry a replica around the city, and it was the most amazing experience ever. Imagine this, you get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, it's pitch dark, Mm-hmm. There is no sunlight whatsoever at all. Uh, there's very little electricity and very little street lighting. And you walk out onto the street, and there's just this, there's this, 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 this whole movement of people along the street, and they're all walking towards the church. Oh, really? And so you you you, you start with this movement, and, and you know it's it's kind of that cool morning air, mm-hmm. and you're walking up the street with everybody else. There's there's hardly a vehicle. There's no badgers. There's no trucks. There's no tuk tuks. There is nothing moving on. Just people walking. They are all walking towards the church, and uh, and my friend Etienne, as he was walking along, walked straight into a tree because it was oh. pitch dark and there's no street lights. So it's a, it's a strange experience. Um, all of the locals are wearing white. Oh, wow. So the women are all wearing white dresses, um, traditional white dresses, mm-hmm. with white scarves, white head scarves. Mm-hmm. Um, the men are all wearing, you know, white shirts, white pants. Everyone's wearing white. Wow. And What's you get that to supposed the to church. Symbolize? Purity, the righteousness oh, okay, of Christ. It's a symbol of the righteousness mm-hmm. of Christ. And so then you get to the church and everybody lights a candle. Wow. And so suddenly you've got light everywhere and mm-hmm. it's all candlelight. The Ark of the Covenant replica comes out of the church 
It's carried on the head of uh, of one of the priests. Uh, you know, it's got a, it's got a, a, a uh, you know, like an umbrella over the top of it, and all this kind of thing. And, and there's a bunch of priests and deacons that are all around it and looking after it and so forth. And then the men go in front, and the women go behind, and they all start to sing. And so you've got a town population, 8,000 people. At least half of them are present. So you've got, you know, you've got families there, you know, the, 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 the women one side, men at the other, but you've got families there. Everybody's got up at 5 o'clock in the morning. They've all walked up to the church. You've know, got up at maybe 4.30 or whatever to, to be there at 5 o'clock. And then they walk around the city. Um, they take this path, you know, they walk right through the city and then back to the church. And you'll hear the men singing up the front, and then you'll hear the women singing down the back. It is just, and it's all by candlelight. It is the most amazing experience ever. I wish I'd seen it. In fact, it was probably one of, if not the greatest highlight of, of, of my entire trip. Wow. Yeah. I want to say two things about it. Number one, if you would like to see uh, what this looked like with the white outfits, Lyle and I were both gifted traditional Ethiopian outfits. So we, ha- I have one of these head-to-toe white dresses with the scarf and everything. And Lyle, uh, they custom-made him a white Ethiopian suit. So if you want to see what they look like, we're actually going to be taking them to uh, Maitland Church this coming Saturday. So come along to Maitland Church on Saturday morning and uh, and you can have a look and see what that looks like. And the second thing I want to say, just about this monk. Now that we're back in Australia and we have some more um, internet, I might be able to post up the video that we took a little, oh, yes. uh, of that procession. Yes, that'd be such a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we also have a third person, uh, Diane, who came uh, to the, the medical missionary trip in Kenya. She'll be wearing traditional Kenyan garb. So she'll be bringing some of the stuff that she got there. Um, but just with this monk in the house with the, with the, with the um, ark, to me, this is like a clear indication that it can't, it can't possibly be correct. Like this is where religion goes wrong, right? Because why would God ever ask us to lock ourselves into one house for the rest of our lives? Yeah, like it doesn't make sense. He's created this whole planet. He's created the human race to enjoy the planet. Why would he then say, "Oh, actually, do you know what? Because uh, I have this Ark of the Covenant thing. I need one of you to just." The rest of your life, never leave. Like what? Uh, uh, how big is this house? Like how many square feet would that be? Uh, the other thing too, yeah, it's just dumb small. It just like seems messed small. up. It just seems messed up. The other thing that we need to take into consideration also is that the Ark of the Covenant is, you know, the sanctuary service was finished at the cross. Mm. And so the Ark of the Covenant is no, no longer holds the sacredness and the holiness that it once held. Yeah. And so this is something that should be placed in a museum somewhere mm. as a witness to the law of God. That's it. You know, those tables of the, of, of, of the Ten Commandments need to be placed in a museum where people can go there and can learn about the law of God and can, you know, be drawn to God because of that. Yeah, it just, it just disturbs me because of what it says about God's character and any sort of religion that imposes these, you know, borderline horrific stuff like you know, these penitence things and climbing staircases on your knees and whipping yourself and chopping your bits off and all kinds of, you know, bodily mutilations and just horrible things that people think that God is impressed by and that God has asked you to do. To me, that's a that's an attack on God's character. God would never ask people mm, to do that. Mm. So that's just a side note I had there. Yep, yep. But yeah, blue. Blue, blue, the color of obedience, the color of law. 
and uh, of course that is carried right the way down through to our day with the boys in blue and what is significant about Revelation chapter 17 and verse 4 is she's that not wearing it because she is disobedient Aye. because she's been making all nations drink the wine of the wrath of a fornication and wine we found out is the traditions of men that replace the law of God she is not wearing blue suede shoes she cannot qualify to do that because she is Specifically disobedient. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Specifically that's, disobedient. That's mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. premeditated disobedient. All right. So let's read verse uh, five and six and find out what is in this golden cup. A mysterious name was written on her forehead. Babylon the Great, mother of all prostitutes and obscenities in the world. I could see that she was drunk, drunk with the blood of God's holy people who were witnesses for <coughs> Jesus. I stared at her in complete amazement. Okay, so what is she drunk with? Um, she is drunk with the blood of God's holy people. That's pretty All right, so what we're graphic. dealing with here is a church that has wreaked tremendous havoc on the earth, that has a history of violence and bloodthirstiness, and has a history of, yeah, just the destruction of God's people. Yeah, yeah. And as a result of that, the Bible says that yeah, she's got she, she, she's called Babylon. So this is this is kind of like when it says she was drunk with the blood of God's people. Is that the same sort of way that we would say his blood is on your hands? Like you're responsible for his yeah, death? yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah. Okay. So she's responsible for the death of many many Christians all the way down through history. Okay. Okay, so if we look at our identifying marks, we find here that you have a very large church that controls a very large population of the world. You get that from verse 1. You have a church that has political relationships with the political leaders of the world, so one that's involved in political intrigue, one that is uh, very very much a part of the political landscape. It's got fingers and pies it shouldn't have. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's in bed with, the Bible literally says it's in bed with you know the, the kings of the earth. Yeah. And this yep. is not where... Uh, not where a church should be heading. We continue on, we find that it has replaced the commandments of God with its own traditions. Okay, yeah. The Bible gets even more specific when you go to verse 3 where it describes that this woman rides a beast. A beast in Bible prophecy is a symbol of a nation. So you've got a church that is controlling a nation. Which is never good news. Always bad news. Then you find uh, that this is a church that has a tremendous history of persecution down through the centuries. And, of course, we know that the only church that fits any of these identifying marks is the Vatican. Yeah, friends of the Catholic Church. Yep. Yeah. In fact, if you go down to uh, verse 9, if you want to read for us verse 9, please. This calls for a mind with understanding. The seven heads of the beast represent the seven hills where the woman rules. They also represent seven kings. Okay, so if you look at it from a geographical location, and there is a primary application to this which is different from what I'm going to share with you right now, Mm -hmm. Um, but there is an observation that we can make here. There is a city that is called the City on Seven Hills. And that's Rome, right? That's Rome. Yeah. Is and it, the Bible says this is where the this is where the woman lives. This is where she sits on, um, and so the Bible is giving us very clear indication here. This is Rome. You know, we don't. We don't. There's, there's no. There's no. There's no argument about this. Is that topographically correct? Like, does Rome actually have seven hills? Yes. Yeah. Is that okay, okay? It's known as the city on seven hills. You can look it up on Google, and it will give you the oh. name of all the different hills that make up the city of Rome. It's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And of course, these seven heads they uh, symbolize far more than just you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, the, the seven hills of Rome, but 
they are. Um, th- 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 this is an observation that we can make as we work our way through the through the passage. Okay. All right. So now we need to move on, and uh, we need to find out. You know what? What particular view are we being given here? And so what you've got is, and just to recap, you've got a beast that has uh, seven heads and ten horns and um, seven crowns on its heads in Revelation chapter 12. But it's repeated again, but back after this.
Welcome back, guys. It was uh, Kemi Ogendi, um, who comes from somewhere in Africa, um, kind of keeping the African theme going this morning. And uh, she was bringing us the song How, featuring Anna Weatherup here on Faith FM. We are in Revelation chapter 17. Mon, whereabouts are we up to? Uh, we got up. Oh, did we skip a few verses? I think. No, I- we didn't skip any. Okay. We're up to verse 7. Verse 7. Okay. Uh, why are you so amazed? The angel asked. I will tell you the mystery of this woman and of the beast with the seven heads and ten horns on which she sits. Okay, so there's a number of identifying characteristics to this beast that we need to look at. This beast is mentioned in Revelation 12. Let's read it over there in Revelation 12. Mon, if you could read for us. Uh, verse 3. Revelation 12, And the key three. thing that we're going to look at is the location of the crowns. Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns with seven crowns on his heads. Now, if you could read for us Revelation chapter 13 and verse 1. Then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. It had seven heads and ten horns with ten crowns on its horns. And written on each head were names that blasphemed God. And then you go to Revelation chapter 17 and verse 3. So the angel took me in the spirit into the wilderness. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that had seven heads and ten horns, and blasphemies against God were written all over it. Okay, so the first thing that we're going to look at is that... Uh, There's a lot of beasts with heads and horns. Yes, yeah. so they've all got seven heads and ten horns. Yeah, seven heads, ten horns. And so what that is telling you very, very clearly is that this is exactly the same power all the way through. Oh, okay, all right. Same power all the way through, but in different phases. Okay, so what you've got is the first phase, the crowns are on the heads. Mm-hmm. The second phase, the crowns are on the horns. Yeah. The third phase, the crowns are gone. They're gone. It's your blasphemies. Uh, the second phase and the third phase have, blasphemy. have blasphemies. The third phase has a woman writing it. I, this is very, very interesting. Oh, yes. Very you interesting. Have no idea. Okay, so that's, that's our first clue. All right, so what do crowns symbolize? What do they uh, indicate? Like royalty? Royalty, yeah. yeah. Uh, political power. Yep, yep. Mm hmm. And uh, if we go to, um, say, Revelation chapter 12, and we want to find out who this particular beast is, the Bible says that it's the great red dragon, which is uh, the devil and Satan. But we know that Satan, of course, works through earthly empires and earthly powers and earthly nations. Uh, We don't see Satan walking up and down the street. No. And so we ask ourselves, all right, well, what, what nation is Satan working through in Revelation chapter 12? And the answer is found in the end of verse 4 where it says that the dragon stood in front of the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. 
She brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. What you have taking place here is uh, the attempt on Jesus' life at his birth. Oh, the dragon okay. stood before the woman who was ready to, to give birth to destroy you know, the child. We know the child that was caught up to God in his throne is Jesus Christ. And so we ask ourselves the question, what nation, what empire was responsible for trying to destroy Jesus at the time of his birth? Mm-hmm. That was Imperial Rome. Okay, yeah, yeah. And the Bible says that this beast has ten horns. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, so the ten horns, according to Daniel chapter 7, where you find those same ten horns again. In fact, let's go over there, Daniel chapter 7. And let's compare this. So Daniel 7. Where are you, Daniel? Here you are. And we're going to read down in verse 24. 24 says, It's ten horns are ten kings who will rule that empire. Then another king will arise, different from the other ten, who will subdue three of them. Okay, so we're not going to focus on that other one who, t- who, who arises at this particular time. That's another vision of the Antichrist that we have right here. But what we've got here is uh, ten kingdoms mm-hmm. that are ruling this particular kingdom. Gotcha. And what you find is that when Imperial Rome collapsed, it initially collapsed into ten separate Nations. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had, you know, your you Vandals, your Herali, and your Ostrogoths, which no longer no longer exist. Those were the three that were destroyed. Then you also have, you know, your, your Anglo Saxons, your Burgundians, your Suevi, um, you know, and, and and the list goes on down through there. Seven of those nations are the are the foundations of modern day Europe. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So we know that Imperial Rome is made up of ten separate. Nations, and what you find is that in those ten separate nations, um, in Revelation chapter twelve, we're dealing with imperial Rome, and so the crowns are on the heads of the beast. Mm-hmm. So the crown is on the beast itself. So sovereignty of those nations is with the empire. Okay, so this is yeah, church and state, but the church is in control, so they're wearing the crowns. This is actually previous to church and state. Okay, okay. Um, the beast is in control. Okay. The empire is in control. Gotcha. When you go to Revelation 13, you move from Imperial Rome to the Holy Roman Empire. Oh. And the crowns move off the head of the beast mm-hmm. onto the horn. So now sovereignty has moved from the empire to the ten separate nations. You see how it works? Yes, yep, okay. And then when you go to Revelation chapter 17, the crowns disappear. Therefore, political power has disappeared. Okay, where to go? Ah, that gets even more interesting. When you go to Revelation chapter 17 and you look at the verse 3, what is the geographical location of the beast in Revelation chapter 17? Uh, So the angel took me in the spirit into the wilderness. There I saw a woman on a scarlet beast that has seven heads and ten horns and blasphemies against God were written all over it. So So they're in the wilderness. Okay, so the beast is in the wilderness. Uh Uh-huh. All right, so we need to then understand, well, what does it mean to be be in the wilderness? wilderness. And once again, Revelation chapter 12 has the answer. If you go to Revelation 12 and read verse 6. Verse 6 says, And the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1,260 days. Okay, this period of uh, the church in the wilderness was a period of persecution. Really? Because it sounds like like she's getting protection there. 
And the reason that she's gone there, and this is you know part of the reason why the church in Ethiopia exists, is because it was a wilderness area. The church retreated into the wilderness in Ethiopia to survive. So she's gone into hiding, basically. Yes, the church has gone into hiding because of persecution. So persecution is the issue here in uh, in Revelation chapter twelve. Gotcha. So then, if we go to Revelation chapter seventeen, here's what we've got: we've got a situation where this time we're dealing with the Vatican. Mm-hmm. Which has no crowns. Political power has been removed, and the Vatican is being persecuted. All right. Yeah. Okay. Now you go to Revelation chapter seventeen, and a key verse that you're going to find is uh, right here in verse eight. If you could read the first two lines of verse eight, please. The beast you saw was once alive, but isn't now, and he will come up out of the bottomless pit. Thank you. And read the last two lines. Um, And the people who belong to this world, whose names were not written in the book of life before the world was made, will be amazed at the appearance of this beast who had died. Okay, so the Bible says you've got a beast here that receives a fatal wound, Mm -hmm. correct? Yes. And then... Comes back to power. Which is going to be quite amazing. Okay, so we ask ourselves, when did the Vatican receive a fatal wound? When was the Vatican persecuted? When was the Vatican in the wilderness? And that was 1798, when its political power was taken away. Very interesting, Lama. I think we have to come back to tomorrow. Out of time already. This is Carly Fletcher with Follow the Lamb. And for that, we have Carter and Carter and back with Question of the Day. We will keep the commandments of God Through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ With patient endurance and faith We will follow, follow the Lamb We will follow the Lamb Wherever He goes Walking in the
You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Is forgiveness, or the lack of forgiveness, eating away at you? A relationship breakdown maybe, long-term hurt, unresolved conflict. You know, it can be dealt with. If you want to break the cycle and start living a more forgiving life, Forgive to Live is a program designed to help us all improve our lives and be more forgiving. Don't let it eat away at you anymore. If you're keen to discover the power of forgiveness, why don't you take that first step and head to forgivetolive.org.au.
And you were listening to Carter and Carter with somebody bigger than you and I here on Faith FM. We have come to question of the day time. Yes. And once again, I have jet lag and I have absolutely no idea what the cue of the D is. <laughs> somebody help me. Well, just get your video ready to video mon so that we can put this up on air because this particular person is struggling with their internet right now and so is unable to listen. They tell me that the electricity has gone out, which is not so uncommon in Ethiopia. So oh, I'm Yoni, this. Yoni John from uh, Ethiopia has sent in this question, um, and that is Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7. He wants to know what this verse actually means in relationship to the state of the dead. Ooh, la, la. And so uh, I think he's going to be uh, looking forward to watching this later on YouTube, which is why we are videoing it right now. Of course, we do that with all of our questions of the day. We've got a whole bunch of them we need to get back up onto uh, our channel, but we'll try and get this one up straight away. Okay, so where are we? Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Let's, let's turn over there very quickly and let's read what the Bible says. Some people become confused about this verse. In verse 7, the Bible says that when a person dies, it says, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Very, very simple verse, very, very clear verse. People are wondering about the spirit that returns to God. We all understand how the body returns back to dust. You put a body in the ground, uh, dig it up a year later, it's pretty much just turned back to dirt. Dig it up 4,000 years later, you're not going to find anything. It's all just dirt again. But what about the spirit that goes back to God? Does this mean that there is a ghost that floats out of our body at the time that we die and heads back to God? And for some reason, where's a sheep as it floats away? Yes, never really been convinced on the sheep. But anyway, is there a ghost somewhere inside of our body that floats away back to God when we die? That's a very, very valid question. The Bible says that the dead know nothing. Uh, and In fact, Solomon has just finished making a very, very clear statement about this in chapter 9 where he says, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. Um, neither have they any more reward. The memory of this is forgotten. Also, their love, their hatred, their envy is perished. Neither have they any more a portion forever. In anything that is done under the sun, whatever your hands finds, do, do it with your might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave where you are going. Such finality. Absolutely. Solomon is very clear about what happens when a person dies. So what about this spirit that goes back to God? We need to find out the answer to that question. Is there a ghost that floats back to God? The answer to that question will help us it will help us to understand whereabouts in the body you will find this particular spirit that goes back to God. And while we're turning over to Job twenty seven, we need to note that the word spirit comes from the word air. In other words, there is air that goes back to God when we die. Numa in the New Testament or Ruach simply means air. The Bible says in Job 27 and verse 3, all the while my breath, air, is in me, and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils. So there you have the answer to your question, Mon, the Spirit of God, the ghost is in your nose. Wow, never thought I'd find it there considering the other <laughs> stuff that I find there. <laughs> no, that's not what the Bible is saying. The Bible is simply saying this. When God created mankind in the very first place, and if we go back over to Genesis chapter 2, we can read what it says right there. Genesis 2, the creation of man. I want you to notice how this works. In verse 7, the Bible says, Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. He made us out of dirt. 
Then he breathed into our nostrils the breath of life, the air. He gave us the air of life. And when we die, he takes the air of life back, the breath of life. And that is the spirit that returns to God. It is the gift of the breath of life that he gives when we are born. It is exactly that same gift that he takes back when we die. The important thing is this. The breath of life, that gift of life, has no consciousness. Because the Bible says, you know, the dead know nothing. They're asleep waiting for the resurrection. And so the, the, the Spirit of God or the breath of God or the gift of life that God gives when we, uh, when we come to life and he removes when we die is not a conscious thing. It's not like a ghost. There's no such thing as a ghost in your nose. Uh, that's never going to happen. Um, and so this is simply referring to the breath of life. It is not a ghost that floats back to God. Anyway, we're going to move on right now. This is the Forbes, the Forbes family when I am sleeping in the grave. So that's pretty relevant to what we're talking about here for when Question I'm of the Day. sleeping in the grave Where God's flowers not in sway I have treasures up on high that cannot rust When the glory morn shall break when my sleeping I awake for my Savior will not leave me in the dust well he's holding to Sleeping saints shall gather round 
sailing with my Savior through the sky. When I'm sleeping in the grave, where God's flowers not in sway, I have treasures up on high that cannot rust. When the glory morn shall break, when my sleeping eye awake, for my Savior will not leave me And that was the Forbes family with uh, When I'm Sleeping in the Grave. Here on Faith FM, we have come to the end of the show, which means we are about to give something away. And our giveaway of the day today is a revelation book by Sean Moontra. This one is called... A Pale Horse Rides. Ooh, that sounds very mysterious right there. What is the pale horse all about? Uh, it's about the story of how Christianity unfolded in Europe over the course of like many centuries. Um, it talks about yeah, Martin Luther, how he reformed, um, the, launched the reform movement. Um, so this is this is people from all different kinds of empires, barbarians, who mysteriously converted and built their faith uh, with nothing to go on but the words of the Bible. So there you uh, go. Sorry. I said, there you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. So this is this is inc- it's incredible stories of fearless uh, men, women who really just live their their faith mm-hmm. during like some, what is what is known as the, some of the world's darkest hours, and uh, some of their lives are actually predicted in prophecy, and uh, and some of these people like they paved the way for like the more famous guys like Luther, and also for us. So this is a really a faith building book. Uh, you're gonna love it. A Pale Horse Rides by Sean Boonstra. Just be the first person to call through right now on one eight hundred Faith FM. That's one eight hundred. Three two four eight four three, or text your details zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. And of course, don't forget that if you'd like to study the Bible for yourself, give us a call on any of those numbers or contact us via any of our social media, and we can make that happen for you. Just got back from Ethiopia where we were presenting the Prophetic Code series of Bible studies, and people in Ethiopia seem to enjoy it just as much as what they do here in Australia. So if you would like to do that particular course, then give us a call. We can make that happen for you through the Discovery Center, who offers it for free. Yes, the Ethiopians love it and the Australians will love it too. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back tomorrow morning after the 7 o'clock news with The Breakfast Show with Lyle and Mon. But for now, please enjoy the rest of our program. We've got some great music coming up for you now. When I was a child, I did childish things. My life was church and all it brings. I'd always hear the old folks sing, He's never failed me yet. I heard this phrase and I trusted so that one day I would come to know the truth in which these words do hold, He's never failed me yet. With years of life came tests and trials 
replace the smile Though God was right there all the while My soul was not at rest But I lived to tell that I made it through So instead of singing about the blues I bring you news to encourage you I'm grateful for those simple